Good afternoon. This is WVEWLP Brattleboro, 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Also streaming live online at www.wvew.org. This is Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. On the air every Sunday at noon. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. You can also find us on Facebook, on Indigo Radio, and on Instagram. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the hosts and guests and not the radio station. So I'm Corey Sorensen and I'm here in the, stu- in the studio with Henry Zacchini. And last week's show we were talking about, uh, we aired a interview with Becca Polk and Vijay Prashad. And today's show will be in two parts. We're going to begin the show recapping the Stand Up Fight Back conference, which took place this past weekend, and then we'll spend some time discussing Julian Assange's recent arrests in terms of what kind of criticism or reporting on capitalism and imperialism is allowed and what will be punished. We also connect this with similar events which helped to frame the Vietnam War, specifically uh, Daniel Ellsberg's involvement. And... We're going to begin the show with a short song break by Rebel Diaz. I promised I would rap like a superstar rap. Spit like a monster, put myself on the map. First rap in English, then rap in Spanish. Get look at through these more I cause damage. International, worldwide resistance in my lyrics. Walking down these mean streets to the house of spirits. Yo represento lo que canto mis canciones. Amor, justicia, hip hop, revoluciones. Listen here, we done preaching to the choir. We stayed on the block, took the neighborhood higher. I guess I just listened to the little voice speaking. The one that said, never deny what you're seeking. It made me a believer, que todo es posible. Mi flow como la lucha, siempre. They call it ADD when you wildin' that don't listen They make you think you're crazy if you question they system Crazy, cause I look different than you Spark fear at the corner of your peripheral Call me crazy, like I'm the violent one Living in the empire that was born off the gun Now that's crazy, what I'm supposed to do When they shut the stores down and there ain't no food Now that's crazy, like I'm the violent one Living in the empire that was born off the gun Call me crazy Crazy is as crazy does Attack the industry with a chainsaw for a crazy buzz What's crazy is 254 fair Trying to get iced out But there's snow everywhere Yeah, a cold world we living in Old girl, hemp and Ken, General soul Minus the boneless chicken And the soulless victims Homeless conditions Why fight my brother When I could beat the system I write 16s in 16 minutes That's what it is But I know what isn't Crazy, the words Garvey spoke The same slang as Malcolm Man, there's too many quotes The wolf licking the blade Thinking it's Kool-Aid Bloodthirsty, turning our cells into slaves What's crazy is, you in a gang But won't do a goddamn thing When the police bang on the corners We learn how to hang With no more nooses, just mad trees The same old thing What's crazy is how they control our brain The demonic song that the radio play You a revolutionary? Yeah, it's all good But they don't know you in the hood What's good? That's crazy and I don't got no time to look it crazy My straight jacket on crooked Now that's, that's crazy. crazy Cause I look different than you Spark fear at the corner of your peripheral Call me crazy Like I'm the violent one Living in the empire that was born off the gun Now that's crazy What I'm supposed to do When they shut the stores down and there ain't no food Now that's crazy Like I'm the violent one Living in the empire that was born off the gun Call me crazy Like I lost my marbles Like all I wanna do is criticize and argue like my screws loose, cause I say what I want to Shit, say what I got to, es por eso que canto Queremos un cambio, en eso andamos Yo creo caminos, no creo en obstáculos You say I'm loco and need a doctor I say let's be realistic and do the impossible Check it out, I'm on a higher plane Some say it ain't sane, I say it's okay Let your mind sway, ride the wave Better that than on land and stuck in one place They want you sedated, drugged and medicated More paper in the pockets of the Drug fabricators, all indicators show our society sick. Disease by greed, that's the diagnosis. Now that's crazy, cause I look different than you. 
You're listening to WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And this is Indigo Radio. You are listening to Crazy by uh, Rebel Diaz. And I don't know, as I was listening to that song, I kept thinking about the uh, gaslight effect in psychological terms. Like uh, when somebody's made to believe that they're the crazy ones, uh, when when what they're actually doing is telling the truth they're truth tellers rather than right yeah that's interesting and so and maybe we should say that um part of the thing we're doing at the beginning of the show is to is to recap uh, educational conference that one on this weekend um, in brattleboro friday and saturday and that rebel diaz was here in town singing and they i think they played that song didn't they on friday night yeah they did and yep. they it wasn't with um who Let's see. This one was featuring C. Ray's Walls, which uh, added a little bit of depth to the song as well. But it, yeah, they started off the weekend conference with a workshop about the history of hip hop and uh, the people really coming together and uh, doing some community organizing and creating something called hip hop. And then did a hip hop performance at the public library at Brooks Memorial Library, which was an incredible thing to witness that space being taken over and um, used in that way. Yeah, and so the the weekend, beginning with Rebel Diaz and all the way through, was basically um, titled Stand Up, Fight Back, put on by um, Spark Teacher Education and by Marlboro, um, assisted by Marlboro Graduate School and a bunch in Brattleboro Solidarity. And, it was, and um, Rebel Diaz was one of the many many performers or speakers over the weekend um, addressing issues of capitalism, wealth inequality, of impoverishment, um, both in our community and, and throughout the world, throughout the United States. And so it was great to kick off with them because speaking about the creation of hip hop and rap, that scene, initially that was really a community-based reaction to the conditions of the people living in the street in the South Bronx in New York right. City and being kind of alienated and disenfranchised uh, he's they they talked about how the south bronx was was burned by by white flight meaning people white people leaving the south bronx and and think they can make more money by burning down the buildings they were leaving um because um poor immigrant communities were moving in um, especially from the caribbean and and um and there's more benefit to them the white flight to burn the buildings down and get the insurance money than stay there and that and that within that context of, of racism and alienation that's what hip-hop was born out of huh. wow um, and so following uh, Rebel Diaz on Friday night, we had a whole slew of panelists and um, lecturers, beginning with Emma, I don't remember her last name, who came from the Beehive Collective and shared the Mesoamerica Resiste uh, drawing that a whole team of people have been working on that tells the whole story of um, U.S. imperialist project in Central America and the resistance to that project. Yeah, quite fascinating, and and really um, lays out what what Central America, Mesoamerica, has been used for and by in terms of imperialism, both from the U.S. and from uh, Western Europe, and and uh, the indigenous pushback against that too. So it's not only the the exploitation, but the resistance from um, many different strands of Central American society and and uh, nations and neighborhoods. Um, so I think that was quite quite intense. And if you've never got a chance, I think people should go on. It's at beehivecollective.org, I, was, I yeah, think. Beehivecollective.org, and it's all copyright-free material. So there's um, high-detail uh, pictures of all the different sections of the murals and explanations, I think, on the website that um, that you can use for teaching or for your own learning yeah, yeah, that's great, and I think you know for me it was perfect on a selfish level. It's perfect timing because I teach at the high school. I'm a teacher, and I teach a class about um, world cultures, and so we're le leading into a a, um, a study of Latin America beginning tomorrow. And so I'm going to use that as part of my teaching tool, just so that the students can get a sense of uh, how this region region's been affected by um, imperialism, by capitalism, by exploitation. So I think it'll be it's quite a useful tool, not as you said, not only for teachers, just for your own edification. <laughs> 
Yeah, and Beehive Collective was followed by Fred, Mag- Fred Magdoff, who's a he's a professor at UVU. UVM. UVM. Yep. And um, he so he talked about the consequences of capitalism, and he was the keynote speaker of the Saturday full day of panels, and it really uh, set a platform for every other panelist who came up and talked really about consequences of capitalism. So it really um, created a theme that strung the entire event together. Um, you know, one of the things that really stuck out for me for Fred Magdoff was that he talked about uh, common reasons that people give of why our world is failing or our social structures are failing. And one of the most common reasons is um, that we're overpopulated and that we're consuming too much, that people are consuming too much. And Fred Magdoff's immediate response is no, that there's not too many wealthy people but that there's, um, or there's, there's not too many people. There are too many wealthy people that are living and cons- living with too much and consuming too much. That if you took the top ten percent um, wealthiest people in the world and compared it to, and you asked them to live in the ways that the rest of the ninety percent of the world lived, then our CO two emissions would go down thirty percent, and that our resource and consuming uh, would go down at least 30 to 40 percent. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so it really isn't an issue of, and we're, and that's the great irony of the, many of the lies. And today's theme is, is partially about lies that are told to all of us to, to obscure the actual truth. And, and one of the things we're told consistently is that, oh, people in, in poorer countries are having too many babies and that they need to stop reproducing. Right. And the reality is, is that it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the exact reverse is that the people in the wealthier countries, people who have more money, are consuming too much and destroying the planet. And so it's just one of these things, these lies that get told so many times that we begin to believe, we internalize and begin to believe them as truth when they're actually, the, the truth is almost the exact reverse based on data that Magdoff found. Right. So the answer would be to give birth control to the rich and take their wealth. Yeah. And, <clears throat> Interesting pol- policy. See if we can get that put forward, see, uh, especially under the current administration or really any U.S. administration. Um, let's put a birth, have more birth control programs for, for wealthy families. See how that goes. Yeah. And um, so for the rest of the, the panels, we had um, people from the local community and people who came up from other parts of the United States talking about uh, education is liberation. Um, the second panel was on profit over people, uh, profit over people. And then the third was, let's see, it was about, it was about occupation and resistance. So right. occupation of land. We had uh, Judy Dow, an Abenaki uh, educator. We had a uh, Ziad Abbas, um, talking about Palestine and Israel's occupation of Palestine. And Hector, what was Hector's last name? Oh, yeah, Hector. I just wrote Hector in my notes, but a Venezuelan-American who's talking about uh, U.S. in um, sanctions in Venezuela. So in some ways, it was a mixture of a bit of, um, I mean, you could take it one way and say, oh, this is all so depressing and there's so much of a fight. But the the thing about the weekend that was quite nice is that in, in face of all this struggle and all this adversity, how much hope there was in what we were talking about. And so there are these monumental struggles, these monumental problems. And yet, what can we do but fight back? That was the name of the conference. And that's what people are doing as we sit here and speak and talk on the radio. Um, that's And that was kind of the nice, the hopeful thing. I mean, I, I mentioned this at the, at the, um, conference when we had we had an open circle at the end and i mentioned the fact that rebel diaz the first night said capitalism is a death system and one could take that to be really depressing because we live in a capitalist system but i took that as a very hopeful thing because the the follow-up line is something like well then we must keep living and so i think that's the juxtaposition and living means struggle it means fighting against the death system that we're 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 just trying to not only bring down um bring down us individually, but bring down whole species and, and bring down, you know, the ecosystem of the planet. And so I think that was kind of strangely for me, it was a hopeful thing to say and, and, uh, and, you know, kind of enlightening thing to hear them say. Yeah. There's a, a common popular narrative of, uh, self care and taking care of yourself because we're all going through, um, 
our day-to-day exhausted because of the uh, pressures from our jobs or whatever. And the Rebel Diaz was saying, yeah, you have to practice living, that it's, mm-hmm. that it's a skill, that it's not just something that is going to come naturally to you based on the way that things are set up or used. And the answer to that's not necessarily self, self-care, but putting in the work and the uh, love and the passion for um, doing the work. And in Rebel Diaz's case, I was thinking about how when they were community organizing, they set up a hip-hop space in an old candy factory. And they started getting a lot of intellectuals coming in that wanted to do the political work. And one way that they weeded it out is that at the conferences, they started handing people um, mops or, or sweeps or whatever, things to do, to do work. And people were offended and leaving. And um, that's how they kind of chose their political community to move forward with, the people that were willing to put in the work. So it's, it's not just the intellectual work that we should be putting in, but the uh, the labor and uh, and physical uh, work together. Yeah, and I, I would hate to diminish, you know, people's, people have mental health issues and they're taking antidepressants or they're taking Ritalin because they have ADHD, all these things. But I can't help but think that a lot of what's happening in those, in our mental health reality and physical health reality in this country and other countries that are, you know, in advanced stages of capitalism has directly to do with the reality, the actual political economy of those countries and that and that if we began to fight and began to love you know each other and work with each other to fight against this draconian system that 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 liberation or the liberation struggle i'm not saying it could fix your mental health problems but i think there's some kind of there's a tie in there that's that seldom spoke about it's like oh well you're unhappy you're depressed take this pill and you'll be better and i think and i'm as i said I'm, i have families members with mental health issues i'm not trying to diminish that but i'm saying that i think a lot of that um, alienation and discomfort is driven out of the insanity of the society that we live in. Yeah, I agree. Um, so the, sh- I think we're going to move into uh, another song by Rebel Diaz. Okay. And uh, this song is Chicago Teachers. It's one of the songs that they said they hadn't performed in a while, but performed for us at the <laughs> Br- uh, Brooks Memorial Library um, since a group of teachers were putting on together the conference. And here it is. <clears throat> yeah, feel us from the bottom of my heart, y'all. Truly inspired. Here we go. Come on, look, y'all. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher So I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher So I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers The teachers are tired, the students dumbfounded The budgets get cut so classes are overcrowded Streets full of violence, the blue coat is silence So I'ma keep rhyming till salaries start rising The unions are rising, taken to the streets The workers are united, so the mayors got beef Rhymes a fake pretender with a corporate agenda Neoliberal offender, of course you offend us This ain't about money, that's far from the truth They want better work conditions to teach the youth Politicians, I don't trust them, it's all in the name The president, the mayor, all want political gain They'd rather put the kids in jail Shackle them with chains and provide an education That challenges the brain Top-down education Chicago the birthplace Now it's spreading nationwide all over the place They don't teach us how to think They teach us how to test They teach us how to work to put money in their checks The CEOs need to get up out the classroom Before these streets get hotter than the sand in Cancun So join the picket line like Mr. Pickett in his prime Put on your red shirt like the Bulls in 95 Hit the streets with a sign They say I'm fighting for mine It's a fork in the road And you gotta choose a side And yes, I'm proud to say I was a public school student It was public school teachers That first taught me music And yes, I'm proud to say I was a public school student A public school teacher First taught me music Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher So I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers Went to Lil' Lincoln School in a little school bus Desegregation, 
pay 20 cents for lunch Reduced price ticket for the lower income children Art and music classes in between math and English Now it's different, they just teaching to the test Forced by the feds, or they losing that check Too many children left behind by this corporate assembly line How they privatized? Education is a human right And their kids gonna be fine, they sent them to private schools While ours get sent to prison or given a job serving fast food Cash rules so it gets treated like a business Bought and sold by businessmen turned politicians So if Rom was the chief of staff And Arnie Duncan got his start in Chicago selling off the education system Then Obama gotta respond The teachers or the corporations, which side is he on? The streets is getting hot, they blame the heat on Chief Keith, But it's a million others like him being created every week If we don't teach, we don't learn And the streets is gonna burn before it gets worse I put on my red shirt cause Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher So I'm inspired by the fight for my Chicago teachers Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher So I'm inspired by the fight for my Chicago teachers Yeah, ha! Bateman Elementary, where Illinois went Lincoln School, Plain Tech, Lincoln Park High School DJ Illinois went to Roosevelt, and now he producing beats worldwide Let's go! Okay, welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on 107.7 FM, Brattleboro Community Radio Station. Um, today we're talking about an educational conference that just, just took place in Brattleboro over the weekend called Stand Up, Fight Back. It was put on by Brattleboro Solidarity, by the Spark Teacher Training Institute, and by Marlboro College Graduate School. And I am Henry Zucchini. Oh, and I'm Corey Sorensen. Yep. And um, yeah, so we um, that song, Chicago Teacher, kind of gave a, f- a few points of um of comparison to what or, or similarity to what we were talking about this weekend they referred to um education as a human right and so we did have a panel about talking about healthcare education um and housing as human rights and so the middle panel of the two was focused on that and and so we thought it'd be and also that we have an ongoing struggle the some of the labor labor struggles that are going going on right now in the united states are being spearheaded by teachers uh, throughout the country and part of the reason is because they're they're one of the last um, union organized groups of workers that we have left in the country because the unions have been so pulled apart for many decades and so it's kind of a tie into Rebel Diaz singing that song and and unions fighting back and teachers fighting back and and then kind of the the idea of um, you know, privatization of schools versus public schooling right and uh, when you leave or at the very end of this video for that song Chicago teacher it says fund schools not wars or prisons and uh, then it also says education is a human right but what kind of education do we want students to have is the other connection that I would make um, when we when we talk later about Assange and Manning and Ellsberg it truth tellers like do do we want people to be learning the truth? Do we want people to be learning things that are significant or meaningful to what's happening in the world? And, or do we want people to be learning um, what's going to be on the tests that are, that are used as data collectors um, to decide which schools are worthy of funding and which schools aren't? Right. Do we want students who are who are who are training to simply fill their role to to um, propagate this um, kind of nightmare society that we've created, this nightmare economy, or do we want, we want students who identify what's going on and are willing to are, are equipped and educated to to fight and push back against that uh, the death culture that we that we're living in? Yeah, you know, and one of the thing before we move on to the next section of our show is. Um, libraries as well as schools as as a place for people to go to and organize and learn and i'm just thinking about star latronica's involvement in the panel yeah i mean it's it's interesting how in the short time that she's been library director which has just been a few years how that space has really become in some kind of subtle way a a place of liberation i mean just things she talked about she was on one of the panels too the fact that that they, they they got rid of the the fine system now a fine system in our society for libraries makes perfect sense we have a punitively based um, criminal justice system that's completely unjust and so it makes sense that libraries schools etc would have punitive systems and she came in and she said let's um let's not do fines for people let's not um, punish them for not bringing books back for reading um, which as as she said inordinately affect uh, people uh, living in poverty yeah, so 
right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, and starting off her, her uh, talk with the library is about equity and access for all mm-hmm. and um, as a representation of the kind of world that we want to live in. <clears throat> so we're going to fo- uh, shift our focus now to a, a look at the arrest of Julian, Julian Assange, one of the founders of WikiLeaks. His arrest needs to be looked at within the historical context of, um, in which it took place. The U.S. has been engaged in a perpetual war for decades. There is one main theme of, there is one main theme of all of this war making, and it is not terrorism. Okay, great. So, um, just as the the Cold War was an excuse for the pillage um, and and taking of resources, um, international terrorism, which is the new excuse for for our war making abroad, is the new excuse. Um, uh, and the reason behind these wars, both two wars in Iraq, um, one in Afghanistan, and a bunch of smaller conflicts throughout the world, um, has to do with protecting and enhancing the resource uh, and control interests of um, the capital and corporate power structure and the elites. Um, and within this context, the mainstream media plays a role of, of pacifying lapdog. Its job is to kind of repeat the lies so they become truth. And um, while WikiLeaks itself as an organization is not necessarily anti-capitalist, uh, Assange and his team um, revealed through through leaked documents uh, some of these truths that go against the narr- the mainstream narrative. Um, some of the things that they they sh- they uncovered um, that um, Chelsea Manning shared with them and that they then um, published um, included dramatic video footage of war crimes being committed by the U.S. military. And um, as a result of that, Julian Assange, because he published these documents, and Chelsea Manning because she shared these documents with Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, they became marked people basically um, and the reason is is that no one's really allowed to disrupt the war machine you can't speak truth you and I can speak truth because we're in a small radio station and a community radio station in Vermont and so but if you speak it at a national level where these things will get revealed you're going to be a marked person and you will be taken down with all the force of the mainstream media the government at um, you know against you allied against you so if the war machine is it's supposed to be a machine that protects us that's mm-hmm. um, Defense Department. It's the Defense Department. Mm-hmm. So if it's not about terrorism and it's not about protecting the uh, United States from terrorism, what is this about and why isn't it okay to speak out against the war machine? Right. And that's a great question. And so I'm right now I'm teaching the Vietnam War in high school to my high school students. And the thing that about the Vietnam War that's never talked, we talk about, the co- people talk about the Vietnam War as sort of a cold war and against, you know, fighting against communism, et cetera, et cetera. What's never spoken about in the Vietnam War, and, and I teach it because I think it's important, but I never heard heard about it until I started thinking more deeply about the war and so I started educating myself and doing the study that people we all need to do is the a massive amounts of profit that were made during that war made by large corporations from Dow Chemical Company to Bell Helicopter to Monsanto they made huge amounts of profit from the war and that's the truth about Vietnam and that's the truth about Iraq is that these wars are meant to protect and enhance the bottom line profit and power and control of these corporations and that the US government and military their only role in these wars is not defense is not to protect our interests because we found no weapons of mass destruction we found Vietnam there's nothing in Vietnam we need to be there for it was just to enhance the power of the corporate elite to make them profit at any excuse and so unfortunately for for, for people that are joining the military, often poor and disenfranchised people that join, they are under the illusion because of the lies that get told, oh, I'm, I'm in the military to protect the United States, to protect the flag. And that's not the military's role. It hasn't been for a very long time. Or in some cases, they're taught that they're in the military to protect other people overseas from right. their own um, terror situations to uh, create and promote democracy all over the world. Right, and and the the lie that's never told there, the truth is never told there. I'm sorry, is that much of this terrorism is generated out of Western European and United States actions in those very same countries. And so you look at countries where that exist now, where borders were drawn artificially by colonial powers, by imperialist powers. A lot of that, even if you take the camera back further, how these how these conflicts came to arise came out of imperialism and not came out of a, a colonial system. So, right. Yeah, and I know it's just from uh, reading some of these stories of uh, Manning and Assange and Ellsberg this week is that you start to get into the details of um, how these terrorist organizations have been created by the United States and what the involvement of the United States looks like in other countries and how the United States is profiting off of it. And um, thinking back to this theme of practicing being alive, like once you start to learn and become aware of these details and this sort of the social relations and dynamics that are happening, uh, that is the 
that is what inspires people to act. Right. And you think of, you know, ISIS being an example of a of a terrorist organization that took over large parts of northern Iraq and Syria. Where did ISIS come from? And that's what the, the mainstream media never tells anyone. The people that formed ISIS met in Iraqi prisons that were set up by the American military. I mean, the, what do you need to know if you don't need to? You have to know that. You have to know if, the, if ISIS exists, where does it exist from and what context does it exist in? And that's because they met and were formed under the conditions of our imperial occupation. And weren't they, they were provided weapons. I don't know if this is the same sure. thing we're talking about, but provided sure. weapons from the U.S. to be used either as a threat or directly against um, Russia. Right. Well, and also the the weapons that are there, much of the weapons that ISIS got their hands on when they won battles against the Iraqi military were U.S. weapons, and so that was the other part of the story. They were gathering they were they were all the weaponry that Sarah's U.S. created weaponry, which you know, as far as the corporations are concerned, hey, someone's buying it. Someone's it's it doesn't once it's been sold, their hands are are wiped clean of it. They've already made their profit, and they can go buy a pool or a, you know a yacht or a, right. their seventh mansion. Gotcha. So. Um, that we also want to connect a little bit to um, to the Vietnam War because we mentioned that before, but but um, Daniel Ellsberg, who wrote the Pentagon Papers, was a, just just like with WikiLeaks and Assange and Chelsea Manning revealed the criminality, the war criminality that was going on during the Iraq War and the Afghanistan War. Um, Daniel Ellsberg revealed about about Vietnam that basically the government had been lying through its teeth about what was actually occurring in Vietnam, and so Ellsberg revealed the thousands and thousands of pages of documents um, for, for a decade or more about the United States actions in Vietnam, which are basically revealing that everything the United States government was telling the people of the United States, um, from secret bombings of Laos and Cambodia to, to government officials knowing the war was a lost cause. Well, if they knew the war was a lost cause, why did they keep doing it? Well, they kept doing it because it was making huge amounts of profit for the people that were supporting their campaigns and the people that run the country. So anyway, after the break, we're going to take a little break here. We're going to listen to a classic um, anti-war song um, by Buffalo Springfield. Um, and then after the after the break, we'll talk a little bit about um, Chelsea Manning and more specifically because her case has come up again. Um, she was just put in prison again after serving a, a brutal, um, a, almost a torture regime prison sentence, um, military prison sentence in the United States. So we'll talk about her case and we'll talk about why she was why she was arrested originally and why she's been arrested again and might be arrested again this coming week. And so um, after the song, we'll come back and we'll, we'll do a little of that with you. Thanks for joining us today. There's something happening here But what it is ain't exactly clear there's a man with a gun over there Telling me I got to beware I think it's time we stop Children, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down There's battle lines being Nobody's right if everybody's wrong Young people speaking their minds Are getting so much resistance from behind Time we stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going Stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going on. 
And we're back. You're listening to Indigo Radio, deepening understanding and making connections. That was uh, Buffalo Springfield. Uh, I don't know. What's that song called? I don't know. Stop now. I don't know what it's called. It doesn't really <laughs> matter. Song. It's an anti-war song. Like, you know, basically put out about the time of Kent State and all the war demonstrations are going on against the Vietnam War. But, right. uh, yeah. And <clears throat> so... This section of the show, we're going to continue talking about, uh, I think we're going to go a little bit deeper into some of the things that uh, Julian Assange, I keep saying Julian Assange, Julian That's Assange released. Close enough, it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> in WikiLeaks, and also um, look into what's happening with Chelsea Manning more recently yeah. in terms of WikiLeaks and her imprisonment for truth-telling in a society built on the opposite. And also, I'm going to slow down a little bit, but Corey says um, that I'm speaking way too fast, which is very true. I, I said to him when, during the break as a song, I, my teaching, I, I struggle as a teacher sometimes because I tend to speak very rapidly, and my students are often looking at me with, with uh, glazed eyeballs um, as a result, I think, of the <laughs> speaking too fast. So. You know so much, you got to stop and let people think uh, about it deeply. <laughs> yeah, so I got to slow down a little bit, but I will try to speak more slowly for the radio today. <clears throat> Yeah. So as as I was start, as I was doing some research this week about WikiLeaks, um, you know, I I didn't grow up ever knowing about WikiLeaks really. So I I've had to do a lot of um, looking back and researching things that were happening while I was growing up and in high school. And one of the things was um, Wiki or was U.S. involvement in Nigeria and well specifically Shell in mm -hmm. Nigeria. And I was wondering, Henry, if you could tell me more about that. Sure, yeah. So I, as part of what I teach, we, we do, um, I mentioned earlier, at the high school, we do a world cultures class. And so we kind of take snapshots of different parts of the world and we do, um, we do a, um, a unit on Africa. And, and usually for to make it more, um, uh, I don't know, more meaningful to the students, we pick a country. And so in this case, because I've studied a lot about Nigeria, I've never been to Nigeria, I would like to go, but I, I've studied Nigeria a lot. And, and so we take Nigeria as, as a, a country to study and, and we look at colonial and imperial legacy and we look at um, neo-colonization in the present day. And one thing I have the students look into is, is what did WikiLeaks find in terms of what was happening in Nigeria? Nigeria is one of the largest has some of the largest oil reserves in Africa, so they have a ton of oil. Unfortunately for Nigeria, their oil is located in the Niger River Delta, and so it's a very ecologically sensitive and diverse place with lots of human and and um, animal species. Uh, that's a bad way to put it, but human communities and animal species that live in the Niger River Delta. It's an incredibly biodiverse place, and um, there's a lot of oil there. And Shell, Royal Dutch Shell, which is a British-Dutch multinational oil company, they've been involved for decades in that region. And they, according to WikiLeaks, have inserted themselves not only into the Niger Delta, but into the deepest parts of the Nigerian state. So they have people with placed within the halls of power in Abuja, which is the capital of Nigeria, literally monitoring what all the top players in the Nigerian government are doing in terms of oil policies and oil oil decision making. And so I think that's a it's an instructive case because what WikiLeaks is doing is revealing the the, the very nature of the kind of imperialist capitalist state that we live in. That, that these 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 organizations like Shell um, or corporations are going in and and literally pulling the levers of power in developing countries in order to bend the the resources um, to them to to let them access them more cheaply to to suppress um, and and oppress people who should be benefiting from them um, i.e. the people in in the Niger River Delta and then of course the the maybe the largest form of criminality above all that is that there are massive oil leaks in the Delta and as we know oil and water don't mix and so mm. probably as far as environmental catastrophes it might be one of the largest ones in the world and it's almost in completely Royal Dutch Shell's fault and they've done a pittance to clean it up and that's the theme it's always the theme of this reality make the profit who gives a crap about what happens you know after the profit's been made and so anyway that's that's a WikiLeaks story that i think is pretty compelling and they revealed that the the deep infiltration of um the corporate state into um uh, developing countries uh, i.e nigeria in this case but they do it all over the world right and they call those uh, developing countries or third world countries what in reality how if if Nigeria is sitting on an oil reserve, right? And there are people there who have lived together for thousands centuries, of years, yeah, yeah. right? Uh -huh. And um, so, what it, 
what does that mean that we're developing? Right. And that's a, that, that's a whole nother subject, but third world or developing, developing the implication there is that, well, you're poor now, but if you, if you add a little bit more capitalism and free markets, then you will be like us, a developed country. And so, um, not getting into, of course, the rampant wealth inequality and, and, um, you know, oppression that's, that is the American state, but just thinking about, well, we're rich and you're poor, relatively poor on a national international level. So if you do more like what we do, um, then you'll be rich. And that, that generally, what that really means, it's code speak for let us exploit your resources, uh, let our multinational corporations come in and take advantage of what you have so we can enrich ourselves further. And you will be, um, uh, I, I, I throw more core with dependency theory, which, which is the opposite of development theory, which says that what will really happen is that poor countries will be forever dependent on the, on the wealthy, um, the wealthy countries. And you can never really very easily dig yourself out of this kind of, state of poverty because you're constantly in debt to rich countries and you're constantly giving away your resources for pennies on the dollar um, so that you can even survive and, and eat in this world that's been created in the eyes of um, you know the capitalists, the IMF, the World Bank. So that's what it really means. But it's developing sounds nice, so doesn't it? You're developing like a young child would develop. You're little now, and if you just try hard and you eat your carrots and your celery, you will then develop into a full-grown person. You know, it's part of the uh, blaming the victim narrative of why there's so many problems in the world as you're talking about nigeria i can't help but connect it to venezuela as well Mm -hmm. which also sits on an oil reserve and um the entire well current narrative of venezuela is that it's this flailing state with um that can't decide on who their you know leader should be or whatever when in reality um because of u.s sanctions since 2000 14 or 15 alone, 40,000 people have died because of U.S. sanctions and less about leadership. Yeah. They can't get, people can't get access, access to medicines that they could before because we put draconian sanctions on the country. And so the story is, oh, they're, they're, the, the economy in the country is falling apart, not anything about how the sanctions are har- harming. Forget about the leaders. It's not harming Maduro, really. It's harming average you know, working class um, Venezuelan people. These the sanctions are, are deadly, literally deadly for them. Yeah. Right. When if a country like Venezuela could um, control their own oil, right, wouldn't that be a different story? Yeah. And it's true. I mean, since Hugo Chavez took power in the early 2000s, all of the Western corporations and, and Western Europe and the United States, all they've wanted is to get back in there to make sure that our corporations can get in there and control those resources. Because anytime a country like Venezuela, which has the, national, the most proven oil reserves in the world, anytime they nationalize their oil, that's seen as a direct affront and threat to the, the domination of capital. And so they, they refuse to accept that. They tried to throw Chavez out, and now they're trying in this coup to throw Maduro out. It has nothing to do with, with democracy or with the government. or It's just all a bunch of BS. It has to do with who's going to control that oil, the largest proven reserves in the world. And it's not going to, they don't want Venezuela to control it. Right. So talk about interfering with other um, states' uh, politics and leadership. There's such an uproar about um, uh, Russia's interfering with our uh, political scene. (laughs) Right. The irony is that that's all we're doing. And the funny thing is they're saying, well, we have to get Guaido in there, who's not not Democratic. He's just the head of the assembly. We have to get him in there and install him as a president. I'm like, well, wait a minute. That's isn't that anti-democratic? And it was just the whole thing is just fraught with lies and and mis- mistruths. The whole spreading family. democracy across the world, yeah. one state at a time. Yeah. yeah. So let's pivot. If we can, we pivot for a second towards um, uh, Chelsea Manning because I do want to touch upon this because mm-hmm. Chelsea Manning's connection to WikiLeaks uh, and Julian Assange really Chelsea Manning. Um, made WikiLeaks what it is. In other words, um, her her expose, uh, her sharing of, of highly confidential documents uh, to WikiLeaks and their public publication of them really put Julian Assange and WikiLeaks on the map. Um, and so what she revealed to them um, uh, through these documents included things like um, the United States killing journalists, um, targeting the military targeting journalists and videotapes of this actually happening killing killing journalists and and, and videotape footage and included things like um exposés about our guantanamo bay prison camp which is still prison base which is still in cuba today and included um the elderly and young people and 
and the U.S. government knew that not only that they were that the, they were imprisoning the elderly and the young, but that these people also were innocent, and the documents revealed that. And so this kind of truth-telling can't be tolerated. And so then Chelsea Manning was imprisoned in 2010 for her role in revealing these to WikiLeaks. By 2013, she was convicted, and then she, was, she served the longest um, jail sentence ever for someone um, who revealed leaks about the government. So she, she served the longest jail sentence. And this sentence included a period of time in a six by eight cell for 23 hours a day for nine months. And the UN, which is not in any way a radical organization, the UN said that was tantamount to torture. Yeah. The United States government was torturing Chelsea Manning as a result of her revealing these 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 secrets. And during her imprisonment, she twice tried to com- commit suicide as a result of the the abominable conditions, she, the the anti-human conditions she was being kept in. Yeah, so it sends a strong message to all those other whistleblowers or people out there. Um, this is going to happen to you if you speak up. You know. Yeah, and also it's interesting the tie-in a hundred years later that. The Espionage Act, under which she was tried and, and eventually put in prison, was an act put in 1917 to quash dissent against World War One. So we're talking about a hundred-year-old um, anti-democratic law that was put in that violates a number of parts of the U.S. Constitution that was put in and never rescinded in order to control dissent during World War One, which is very warranted because our role in World War One is outrageous why we got involved in that war. But anyway, we did. And so the dissent against that was put into to silence dissent. And she was tried in the very same law almost 100 years later for doing the exact same thing, speaking out against and revealing war crimes um, committed by the U.S. government. So the, the connection there is quite fascinating, too. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so um, what I think we might do is uh, we have a clip here. Is that clip um, more or less ready, Corey? We have a clip of, of Julian Assange from WikiLeaks talking about Chelsea Manning. And in this case, the, the, the we'll have to you have to go back in time with us a little bit because this clip. Do you see it on there on the list? It's just below. Uh, U.S. Walmart. It's kind of in the yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's talking about a time. I believe it's about the time that, that Chelsea Manning is about to be. Um, uh, either put in trial or convicted, I can't remember, but you'll, you'll get the context. So it's Assange talking about the work that Chelsea Manning's do, ha, has done to, um, and at the time you might hear um, the interviewer refer to Chelsea Manning as Bradley Manning, because Bradley Manning, uh, Chelsea Manning used to be Bradley Manning, but a transition to Chelsea Manning to, and his living um, uh, as a woman changed um, uh, her gen- gender identity and gender expression. Now live from his safe room in the Ecuadorian embassy in London. I'm also joined here in studio by his lawyer, Barry Pollack. We're less than 24 hours from finding out Manning's fate, uh, Julian. You are, of course, somewhat confined, staying as you are in the embassy, but you're not in jail, which is where Manning may find himself living out the rest of his life. Do you feel any sense of responsibility, any sense of guilt? What are your feelings on the eve of this verdict? Well, look, as the publisher uh, involved in this case, uh, there's no doubt that our publishing activities uh, are connected in some way uh, to Bradley Manning's fate. That's provided the embarrassment that the US government uh, is working against. But first, let's contextualise. We heard lots of spin back in 2011, 2012, uh, with people uh, from Congress like Peter T. King uh, placing bills for all our staff Uh, to be renditioned, declared uh, enemy combatants uh, before the Congress. Um, And at that time, there were accusations that the material that we had published might, in some uh, sense, uh, lead to people coming to harm. Those have all been false. Uh, There's been no accusation uh, in this entire case uh, that any person uh, has come to harm uh, as a result uh, of any of our publications, which are alleged to be uh, derived from Bradley Manning. In fact, quite the converse. Uh, there's um, Amnesty International reports that uh, the Ben Ali regime in Tunisia, uh, its overthrow by the people, uh, was directly triggered uh, by these sorts of publications. And simply, similarly, there's a wide range uh, of investigations and prosecutions uh, of individuals for torture, uh, resignations of um, different figures in various places in the world uh, as a result of corruption. Yeah. Do you uh, think, Julian, do you, do you, information. Do you think those, the list of accomplishments, the Arab Spring and the other things you've talked about, do you think that is ultimately worth potentially the rest of this young man's life? Well, it's, it's not my place to weigh that up. Obviously, that's something that Bradley Manning uh, has to weigh up. But in the alleged statements that he made, 
yeah, he was willing to take that risk uh, from his alleged statements because he believes the, uh, apparently that the result uh, is so important. And we call those types of people that are willing to, to risk, not be a martyr, but to risk being a martyr um, for all the rest of us. Uh, we call those people heroes. Uh, Bradley Manning is a hero. Let's now, talk about, let's talk about another... About Let's talk about another person that you, I know you think is a hero, which is NSA leaker Edward Snowden. Yesterday, uh, the Senate Intelligence Committee chairwoman, Dianne Feinstein, uh, suggested on CNN that Snowden may be leaking secrets to China and Russia. Let's take a listen. He went to two big cyber intruding powers, China, China? and Russia, and left China and went to Russia. You've got to ask, why did he choose those two? You've got to also ask, do the Chinese have all this material? Do the Russians have it? Julian, what's your response to that? Why did he go to China and Russia? And do the Chinese and Russians have any of this material? Well, look, this person, I'm not sure who it was, but some congress congressman like Peter T. King, they're playing a particular sector. You know, they, they, they farm out fear to make it look like they're doing good work for the people who give them donations. And you can see that in the recent... Um, bill before Congress, that the, the votes uh, to not investigate, uh, not put controls on the interception of Americans' emails, uh, well, it, it came from people who are predominantly uh, funded by the military contractor uh, industry in the United States. Mr. Snowden did not try to go to Russia. Uh, Mr. Snowden uh, tried to go to South America, and the State Department, in, in the most uh, idiotic diplomatic act of the age, uh, cancelled his passport en route. Uh, so he was uh, left stranded in Russia. Uh, we have um, exercised as much ability as we can uh, to protect, any, protect Mr. Snowden from any state, um, the United States, uh, Russia and China, uh, from exploiting him. But the, the US State Department has worked counter to that purpose, uh, marooning him effectively uh, in Russia. Julian, I, I want to bring in Barry right now. Barry. Yeah, so welcome back. This is WVEW 107.7 FM, Brattleboro. You're listening to Indigo, Indigo Radio, deepening connections, um, helping to helping us to unpack the world that we live in. The two things that Assange said there that really stuck out um, stuck out to me. One is that he, he referred to Chelsea Manning, um, Bradley Manning in that case, but Chelsea Manning now um, as a hero, which is which is I think a powerful statement because all of our a lot of our heroes. Um, who we have in this country, we, we've been kind of um, blinded to what uh, we were looking at an old record album as we came into those old albums and, and they have one called the uh, heroes of stone mountain. Well, stone mountains is a monument in Georgia, it's Jefferson Davis and, um, uh, what's his face? Um, the uh, I'm blanking on his name, the famous uh, Civil War general. You know, they're they're um, Robert E. Lee. They're they're statues to him, and those are supposed to be our heroes. And yet, here's a, a person truth telling about what the American government's up to. I also like the fact that they talk about um, that the NSA can spy on all of us. Assange was saying that, which is quite interesting. Our privacy, our own, we have no right to privacy. The NSA can spy on us without any warrant or any, any kind of reason whatsoever, but people can't spy on the government, which is deeply, deeply anti-democratic and deeply, deeply troubling that somehow you can put someone in jail and torture them for telling us what the government's doing, but we can be secretly monitored and, and the government can look at us with no, no criminal charges against them. It's paternal. It's gross. Yeah disgusting yeah so do you want to um should we touch base a little bit about what um chelsea manning's up to today because actually even though chelsea manning was pardoned in 2017 by obama she just spent uh two months in jail um and i, I thought we might want to touch touch base about that quickly before we we um move on out of here for next week yeah and i mean i'm gonna turn this right back around to you because i think you know more of the details of how chelsea manning's um well, imprisonment and torture really has continued and how it, she'll be continued to be surveilled and targeted, yeah. targeted because of, I mean, what she's shared with the rest of the world. Yeah. And let's not make any mistake about this. She has suffered immense consequences. As we, as we said earlier, as a result of her imprisonment, she tried to commit suicide twice because of the 
uh, horrific conditions under which she was held. She was essentially tortured by the United States government, which the UN declared, which was not a radical organization. They're very mainstream establishment organization, the UN is, and they even said what happened to Chelsea Manning in prison was torture. So anyway, recently, they're trying, because of Assange's arrest, to get her to testify against WikiLeaks, and she's refused, and so they've held her in contempt. And so she spent 60 days in jail uh, in contempt. They just let her out last week because the grand jury closed its proceedings, but they're having another impaneled grand jury coming up uh, I believe May 16th, which is this coming week. And experts believe she'll be put in prison again um, because she'll refuse to testify um, against WikiLeaks uh, on behalf of the state. They really want her to, to basically get, they want to gather information because Assange was arrested. We didn't talk about that. I guess we maybe we missed that step. Assange was arrested uh, about a month ago in, in the Ecuadorian embassy where he'd been um, hiding away for a number of years. And the British government and the Ecuadorian government uh, conspired basically to to get him out of this refuge. They violated international law, pulled him out of a, a, a foreign, you know, the Ecuadorian embassy in London is a foreign state. And they basically went in they, and the Ecuadorians kicked him out and the, the British took him. And, um, and so she refuses to testify against Assange and the United States wants to get Assange to the U.S. and put him on trial as they did with her and, um, and ideally put him in the same kind of prison conditions, uh, torture conditions that she had to endure. So, I would just say to people to keep an eye on that uh, this week as the news unfolds because it's very likely she might be put back in prison again. And we heard very little of this reporting on the mainstream media. I mean, you really have to kind of dig to to, to find this information out about what's going on with her. And I think it's interesting. If, if she truly is a hero, why would we have to dig to find information about a hero being in prison for not being willing to right. testify? Yeah, I mean, that's not information that obviously the mainstream media is going to want people to know. Other, right. you know. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, keep even, an eye on... Yeah. Sorry, but even Mark Lamont Hill, who is a reporter on CNN, was fired just for, talk, just for criticizing Israel right. and Israel's occupation on Palestine. So yeah, th- you can't that, use, yeah. that opinion alone isn't tolerated on mainstream media. Right, you can't use the words is- Israel and occupation in any polite society you're immediately branded a heretic or or a lunatic or you know a danger to the state if you declare those things if you mention those two words together yeah crazy yeah so uh, yeah we just ask people to keep keep an eye on that and to and to um and to see let's see how this unfolds we want to give a little bit of a preview of next week's show which we think will be quite interesting we're going to have um michaela and anna i believe next week yeah yep and they're going to be speaking uh, um michaela and becca oh sorry michaela and becca from our same brattleboro solidarity group and they're going to be speaking next week about um, the stand-up fight back conference in a slightly greater depth than we did we just kind of um we did a kind of a cursory glance at what the conference was about, but they're going to have um, recorded interviews. I think they're going to have um, some taping that was done during the show. And so that will be quite exciting. And just to give people a heads up about a, an action and a, and a, um, um, an activity that's coming up next week and that will probably be tied into the show they're doing on Saturday from one to four at the root social justice center on William street in Brattleboro. It's walkable from downtown, a nice little half mile to three quarters mile walk, the root social justice center, a uh, shout out to the root, which is a great local social justice organization we are going to be working with them uh, the route uh, to investigate the ownership of land and the ownership of buildings in Brattleboro the privatization of land and buildings and so we'll do that on um, on Saturday next weekend from 1 to 4 so join us there and then on Sunday join us because Airbnb is an organization which many of you are familiar with Um, they encourage people to rent out parts of their homes for a profit uh, they're going to have a conference in Brattleboro encouraging more people to to rent their homes out to Airbnb. And so we'll be doing an action um, from one to four in front of the Stone Church in Brattleboro to protest that reality. And uh, the main reason for that is is not so much our um, hatred of Airbnb, that that wherever that may stand. It's just that in, in country or countries or cities where Airbnb is um, – excessively plays it tends to drive up rents and everyone who lives in Brattleboro knows that we have an incredibly low rental rate and people working people can't afford to live here so um, we're going to try to address that um, in those two actions so join us Saturday 1 to 4 at the route and Sunday from 1 to 4 in front of the Stone Church on Main Street in Brattleboro um, to to push back a little bit against uh, the dominant narrative that we should be um, profiting as much as we can from um, uh, property versus um, providing housing for all. Corey, did you want to add anything else before we um, uh, segue out for next week? Um, Well, I'm just going to leave with a question. uh, Which side are you on? Um, If you were in the case of, if you were in a situation where you could be a truth teller or kept 
um, kept down, what, I mean, what would you choose? And we're really faced with that decision every moment and every day of our lives is how, how are we choosing to live? Because you have to make a choice you, in this world that we live in. So. And in order to be a truth teller, we have to study too. So study, and when we study, we can, we can, the, the truth can be revealed to us, even in this era of lies. You can find the truth if, you, if we dig. So uh, I'm just going to leave off the show with one of our underwriters so we can squeeze that in there. Great. And um, make sure you tune in next week. So, thanks. thanks for being with us. Hello, this is Eugene Newman, director of the Vermont Jazz Center. The VJC is a proud underwriter of WVEW LP Brattleboro. The Jazz Center is located in the Cotton Mill Hill Building in Brattleboro, Vermont. We are an award-winning nonprofit dedicated to creating and preserving jazz through the presentation of workshops, concerts, and instruction. For further information, check us out online at www.vtjazz.org.